Hello again, everyone. We're on the second week of this Advent series, and today I want to talk primarily about Mary the Christ-bearer. In the evangelical world in which I lived and worshipped for over 30 years, we heard very little about Mary, and when we did, it was usually with a kind of a subtle dig at the Catholics for worshipping her, which we insisted was idolatry. Apart from these comments, I do not recall ever hearing any teaching about Mary. She was mentioned at Christmas, of course, but then we moved on. However, to ignore Mary is to reveal a serious lack of understanding about her role in the Incarnation. For Protestants to believe that liturgical churches like the Catholics, the Orthodox, the Anglicans, for them to believe that they worship Mary is simply wrong. In fact, She does deserve honor as a role model for all Christians and as the one who bore God. But she's not worshipped. She's honored. Mary was a young girl. We're not sure, but perhaps 13 or 14. And she came from an obscure northern community that was part of the servant class. Um, She stands alone in the entire history of humankind. When Gabriel, the angel, told Mary what was about to happen, he was revealing God's truth about who Mary really was. And that's why he said she was uniquely blessed among women. You know, later, her cousin Elizabeth, when she saw Mary, she prophesied with the same words, Blessed are you among women. Now, the early church called Mary the Theotokos. It might be a new word to you. It's a Greek word, of course, and it means God-bearer. When, when Mary is called the mother of God, it's because that is who she quite literally is. Jesus Christ is God, fully God, the second person of the Trinity, and therefore she was bearing God. You know, it's interesting that much of the church, even today, sees the Ark of the Covenant as a type or a, or a foreshadowing of Mary as the God-bearer. And in a very real sense, Mary becomes the Ark. The Ark, which held the, the presence and the glory of God, now is Mary. Now, The church fathers, and much of the church today, called her Theotokos not just to honor her, but to to protect, to safeguard a right doctrine about Christ's person. In the incarnation, as we stressed last week, he is fully God and fully human. Why is he fully human? Because of Mary. So it seems illogical to me for anyone to believe in the Incarnation and yet not honor Mary. And you know, she's not just honored for bearing the Christ child. With her whole being, her whole life, she devoted herself to caring for that unique and special son. 
This began at conception, through birth, throughout his whole life, even to the cross, and the book of Acts tells us beyond. Fully, fully dedicated and devoted to Christ. Fully God, fully man. Now, when the angel Gabriel came to her and told her what was to happen, her response was this, Here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. I believe it is not an overstatement to say that this was the critical moment in all of human history because God never violates his gift of free will. Mary had a choice, and what she chose changed everything. And we see in Luke's account it wasn't an automatic choice at all, was it? Zechariah, when he was also confronted and prophesied to by, by the same angel Gabriel, he he couldn't embrace this God-ordained change. He couldn't see any other way of living. He held on to what he'd always known. Now, beloved, I have believed for a long time that God presents us with these kinds of opportunities, like Mary, like Zacchaeus. He presents us with opportunities and always gives us the freedom to embrace them or to brush them off, maybe our imagination, or maybe we just forget about them. I think he gives us those opportunities a lot more often than we realize. And I think that's part of why many of us live too safe of lives. So, as with so much of Jesus' life, the nativity story is filled with paradox. And this is part of the mystery of Christ. Just look at the picture, this situation. A seemingly insignificant young girl who's caught in a socially embarrassing situation, not married but pregnant. A poor couple arriving in a small town without anywhere to stay. A birth taking place in a cave uh, that was set aside for cattle. And yet, in the midst of this hiddenness, heaven cannot contain itself, shouting out to the shepherds and the world, glory to God in the highest. Now, the second thing I want to look at today regarding Mary is I believe she was a revolutionary prophet. Now, that may surprise you. Because we think of her as this young, quiet girl, servant girl. But something really interesting happens in in Luke's account, chapter 1. When Mary comes and sees her cousin Elizabeth, she begins instantly to cry out in in a beautiful and powerful prophetic song. Here's just a few verses. We, We call it the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on, generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In that prophetic utterance, which which came from God but came through Mary, through her personality, through her personhood, 
we see that now she has fully embraced Gabriel's words that she is uniquely blessed among women. And by accepting these words, her eyes have been opened to see herself differently, not as a poor servant girl, but uniquely blessed among every woman who ever lived. And that's why she spoke out with such clarity and confidence. Let's look a little more at the Magnificat. She continued, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Boy, that's that's revolutionary right there. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. In our day and age, it might be difficult to just realize how revolutionary Mary's prophecy was. Did you know it was so dangerous that this passage in Luke, the Magnificat, was outlawed by the Church of England during the 200-year rule of Britain in India? They considered it too dangerous, too seditious. Here's something else we see in the Christmas story. We see the the canonic, self-emptying love and humility that leads Jesus downward to an overlooked cave and stable. And and this downward journey, he never abandons it. It takes him through criticism and abuse all the way to the cross. But it's from this place that the Father exalts him to the highest of all, to the right hand of the Father. Now, I want you to notice, this is reflected in this prophecy, who he pulls down the mighty, he raises up the lowly. This is one of the most important prophecies ever uttered. And who does God choose to declare it? A poor girl from a small, remote town. He did not choose a a priest or important person in the religious system. It's as if God is saying, ha, you only see a small, young, weak girl. But I say, she is the one who is greatly blessed, and she is the one to whom I have shown great mysteries. So what's she doing here? She's prophesying about life in this new reality that Jesus would tell us is called the kingdom of God. And years later, he would echo his mother's words when he said things like, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom is yours. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. The eternal one, the limitless one, has now entered our time-space world, and this new reality, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, has taken hold. And the incarnation... And this wonderful prophetic declaration from Mary shouts to us that from now on, the way up is the way down. There's paradox again. The kingdom is found in the smallness of the mustard seed. So to wrap this up, for too long, for more than 30 years, I gave little thought to Mary. But she's the mother of God. 
It was only because she said yes that the word became flesh. Hers was the greatest obedience in history. She alone was told by heaven, blessed are you among women. Now, whom the Lord blesses is whom I should bless. The nativity reminds me that no matter how hidden away I think I am, like Mary, Jesus is always at work. He is always with me. He is always for me. If if we will embrace the paradox that is found in the story of the nativity, the heart of the incarnation, it will both confront and comfort us. The nativity reminds us that Christ comes to us in surprising and unexpected ways, which so often contradict our assumptions of what he is doing or what he should be doing, or maybe even what we think he's about to do. And here lies the beauty of the nativity narrative. It points to the great and all-embracing truth that the depth, the sheer beauty of Christ and his work in creation is revealed in the ordinary. Because of the incarnation, everything is new. But this newness is often hidden. The incarnate Christ, who is always at work, recreating. He calls me to a journey of trust, following Mary's example, believing that his presence, even when I feel nothing, is forming me. The creator never stops creating me. The lover never stops loving me. God bless you.